Welcome to the Mind Sensei Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Taz, and I'll be taking you on a journey to the world of martial arts and introduce listeners to some of the most aspiring and knowledgeable practitioners from around the world. Whether you're a seasoned martial artist or a curious beginner, or just enjoy hearing a great story, the Mind Sensei Podcast Down Under has something for everyone. So tune in, sit back, and let us take you on a journey through the world in martial arts. Ladies and gentlemen, first a big thank you for tuning in and welcome to the Mind Sensei podcast, where we explore the minds of the most remarkable individuals on the planet. I'm your host, Peter Taz, and today's episode is a special one. We are joined by Mr. Martin Wheeler, Master in the Art of Russian Sistema. Martin has had over 40 years of experience. Mr. Wheeler is a highly respected figure in the world of martial art. With immense pride, we present the founder of Wheeler Sistema, hailing from the vibrant city of Los Angeles, California. Martin Wheeler is a revered figure in the world of martial arts, renowned for his exceptional expertise in Sistema. For those who may be unfamiliar, Sistema is an extraordinary martial art that encompasses a profound understanding of the human body, mind and spirit. Rooted in centuries-old traditions, this art form has been refined and passed down through generations, evolving into the comprehensive system of combat, self-defense and personal development. As the founder of Wheeler Sistema, Martin has dedicated his life to studying, practicing and teaching this captivated discipline. With over three decades of experience, his expertise in Sistema is unparalleled. Throughout his innovative approach, Martin has not only honed his skills as a martial artist, but also delved into the depths of psychology, physiology and human behavior. His unique perspective integrates the diverse elements, enriching the practice of Sistema and elevating it to new heights. Throughout this illustrious career, Martin Wheeler has shared his knowledge with countless individuals, including military personnel, law enforcement officers, and martial arts enthusiasts worldwide. His teachings extend beyond mere physical techniques, encompassing the development of inner strength, resilience, and self-awareness. Martin's passion for empowering others and nurturing their growth shines through in every aspect of his instruction. On today's episode, we are privileged to delve into the intricacies of Sistema with the Master himself. Join us as we explore the philosophy, principles, and practical applications of this awe-inspiring martial art. Discover the profound connection between mind and body, gain insights into the art of self-defense, and lock the secrets of personal transformation. Get ready to be captivated by the wisdom, experience, and warm personality of Martin Wheeler as he shares his journey, insights, and revelations with us. Prepare to expand your understanding of Sistema and explore the boundless potential that lies within each and every one of us. Without further ado, let us welcome the extraordinary master, Martin Wheeler, to the Mind Sensei podcast. Thank you, Mr. Martin Wheeler, for joining us on the Mind Sensei podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on, sir. I've heard all about you. You've been on my bucket list, so thanks for joining us. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got started in the martial arts. I started in the martial arts. My initial thing in the martial arts without doing any training at all was Kung Fu series with David Carradine. It was about the only thing I remember watching as a kid. It's about the only thing that was on, right, when you were kids? Pretty well. There was only like three, four channels, three channels, actually, when I was a kid. And David Carradine, pretty well, it was a hold of one of those for me. 
Uh, yeah, that got me excited about it. it. Made me wonder what you know, this thing was and how it worked. And when I was, I think, eight years old, my friend Paul Stokes heard of the local judo club at the YMCA, and and I went with him to that club. He left, and I stayed. I did that for a year or so, and then I didn't, I stopped doing martial arts for a while, and then I started again when I was. 15, I think, or 16, 15 in Tempo. Yeah. And I did Parker's system for a long time. On your bio, that you did Kempo at the Dorman's Academy. Explain that to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was in Paynton in Devon. Paynton was a holiday resort town, a Victorian holiday resort town, you know, a couple of hundred years ago. 150 years ago or whatever, you know, it slowly sort of morphed into a kind of a good time, you know, holiday was on the place. It was kind of, kind of we, we kind of joked, if you couldn't afford to go on holiday, you came to us, you know. Um, <laughs> it's probably a really popular and yeah. expensive place now, right? Yeah, I don't know if painting ever really made the leap. Uh, Torquay, uh, the area now, yeah, it's definitely sort of a little more market than when we were there. Uh, it's pretty expensive housing. It's just all on the coast. You know, a rough nightclub, people, and everybody and everybody coming down and getting yeah. into the clubs and uh, yeah. getting drunk and having their fights on the weekends. And yeah. so local dormants, the academy, uh, the dormants and the clubs there, they, a lot of them get this one particular variety club. And so they called it the Dormans Academy because uh, so there was a lot of kind of pretty, pretty tough guys in there. Yeah, I wish I knew yeah, uh, uh, Kempo so. when I had my when I was doing my door work, but uh, I was lucky. I was doing bodybuilding at the time, so I was pretty strong. But if I knew Kempo, it would have been a lot easier. Definitely, I mean, trained there for a couple of years before I started working the door. I, I started working as about sort of seventeen in the clubs. So Kempo definitely came handy. Yeah. So, do you remember the name of the judo instructor you started with? I do not remember the judo instructor. I was too young. Okay. To what about register. the Kempo instructor? My first Kempo instructor was a guy called Roger Horn. H-O-R-N. He was very good. Uh, black belt. And his brown belt was a guy called Sean Cross. And we all trained under Jackie McVicker, Mervyn Ormond, and Gary Ellis. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I know Gary. Yeah. Uh, great teachers. There's double teachers. Very nice guy, Gary. Very nice guy. Very talented guy, too. Yeah, yeah, correct. Well, they say he moves like uh, Ed Parker. There's some similarities, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, kind of a bigger, looser guy. More more my style. Yeah, right. And so they were very good guys to learn under because they were very practical. The the kind of Kempo that was, you know, the area was kind of uh, street fighty. Like street fighting type area, you know, Plymouth and Devon, a lot of coastal towns uh, often are. Yeah, they had a lot of experience, and you know, they passed it down to us. It was really good. So, did you have any? Do you have any stories you can share from your door days? Any memorable experiences or crazy nut jobs that you had to deal with? I mean, pick a weekend. I mean, it was. You know, I mean, it was the kind of place where if a door, if a fight didn't start on Saturday night, the doorman started one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that they were that. There was so many fights there all the time. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I remember walking into the place one night. We hadn't even started working, and the fight started. 
you know, in the bar downstairs. <laughs> we hadn't even got into the club yet. <laughs> I think back in those days, it was like that. It was the done thing. You you went out on the weekends, you took out your frustration on someone or you tried to take on the local bouncer, right? That was how it was done. That was pretty well it. And it didn't usually stop at the club either, you know, because everyone lived in the same town. So they'd see you the next morning. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere to go. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty bright. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not, despite... My work, my my life. Uh, I'm not really a violent person. No, uh, I never really was. You know, I don't. I never really felt any much satisfaction in hurting people for fun. I mean, I I do enjoy fighting. You can't lie there. I mean, I knew guys who would you know stomp people on the ground and yep. crack their skulls, and they they take a lot out of that. And I never never really felt that way. That it was that was something valuable to have in my mind, but. Uh, but I, I, I did like fighting. I got to say, I was very attracted to it. Not, not because I was particularly tough. I mean, it really wasn't, to be honest with you. I never grew up as a tough guy or anything. I knew, I knew other kids that were growing up that were really considered the tough guys, and I certainly wasn't one of those. Yeah. But violence did fascinate me. It made me very curious as to what it was and how it worked, and you know, could it be taken apart and put back together, basically. Yeah, yeah. More so, how do you control it is probably the fascination that you've had that most people have. Yeah, yeah. How do you, yeah. But, or even how, I mean, I guess in later years, really, it became how do I control myself when when it, when it, when it happens? And, yeah. You know, how do you recognize it? I think what, what I found when I was, when I started learning martial arts, that I could slow someone down or stop them or give them a life-changing moment without destroying them back in the old days you'd run someone's head into a bench no problem you know but they wouldn't learn from that they'd be back next week either say sorry or try it again kind of thing whereas um yeah i think if you can take someone quite easily show them their way out of their depth and they should change their way most people take that option yeah everyone's looking even in a fight they're looking for comfort and if you kind of they're not fighting you because they're comfortable they're fighting you because they're uncomfortable right? yeah correct and want to act in some way against that yeah and if you can kind of put them into a comfortable position then yeah. and you know that's actually more satisfying to them than... either their ego has been compromised or they feel disrespected it's one of the two right i mean it's pretty <clears throat> fine as far as we've come down the evolutionary chain with once you strip apart the sort of social contracts and stuff is you're not that far away from final sort of yeah, feelings pretty much you know well, you know you feel like your space has been threatened or your yeah so t- tell us a little bit about your journey with roger horn how long did you stay with him and train with him and where did you go from there uh, well roger left uh, after about a year after i was training hopefully not because of me young kid at the time he went off to, I believe he went off because he got interested in the Feldenkrais method. What method you know, was that? Sorry. Feldenkrais, it's like a movement, sort of health method, like a like a moving yoga type thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, How do I spell that? Feldenkrais, yes. Oh, Feldenkrais. I believe Feldenkrais, yeah. I'll look uh, it up. F-E-L-E-N-C-R-H. ST, uh, I think. Yeah, yeah. I'll look it up. I'm just interested to see. All, uh, yeah. Oh, he was, uh, I believe, Holden Price was a Israeli 
judo practitioner who got had a lot of injuries and started figuring out a method of moving that would help him to recover from his injuries and uh develop kind of a movement nice nice um, cheers and i think he went off to do that which is um and uh he left sean Pop in charge and sean was the brown belt who eventually became black belt okay. what was sean's surname sorry cross cross yeah, uh sean cross was a he was a young guy but very solid brown belt very good solid technique very sort of almost shotokan type karate yeah it's almost basics and that type of thing there was a couple of good guys there some very good very good brown belts sean still training don't know if sean is still training I don't think so. I think okay. he, I think he put his belt away, and that was it. I'm not 100 percent sure, but last time I checked, he wasn't. So, how long um, were you there for with with that club? Is it once they hung up, you moved? Well, on I was. Or? No, I I was there until I was, because I went off to college for a little bit too. But I was basically there until I was about 20, 21, something like that, and then I went to London and I carried on training in London with Diane Wheeler. Actually, no, no yeah, relation. I know Diane. I know Diane. Yeah. I met her at Graham's. She's a screen. She's a screen. Yeah. Yeah. She is. She's great. Yeah. We trained together for about four years in London uh, or so. She got us up to our black belt, I believe. And we, my, I went out there with a guy, Mark Waldron. He was my training partner. Yeah. And we went to London together. We trained with Diane. We worked as bouncers in London together. Um, and Mark was kind of traveling around the world at the time. He was a work for Storm Agency. He was a model. And um, and we got into a lot of yeah, a lot of fights <laughs> along the way there. <laughs> as you do <laughs> somehow. Well, you know, if you're not and, busy, uh, you're not you, needed, yeah, right? Well, yeah, you know, there's yeah. no shortage of willing yes. training partners when you're yeah. young, trading partners. What was your next step after that? Yeah. Eventually, I got in, I became a third degree black belt under Huck Planus. Okay. I just spoke to Huck. He sends uh, his regards. He's a great he's... guy. He's a very, very good teacher. His knowledge of Kempo is probably second to none from what I've seen in Kempo. He's pretty good. Yeah. We did some training here when he came and we dropped the kids off at school. We came home, we had a coffee, went into the garage, and I'm like, oh, yeah, we'll get through, you know, all the forms and short one, long one, short two, <laughs> long two, and then we had to go pick the kids up from school because it was the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he's he's metic meticulous. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That was good. And a, and a very practical guy. I trained in boxing during those periods too, From actually from teenager. I moved into Thai boxing from when I was in London. Who'd you do uh, that with? Also, the Thai boxing. Just kind of bouncing around different clubs. I'd, I really didn't sort of like lock yeah. on to one particular mm -hmm. coach. I was just kind of bouncing through. In Chicago, I trained with Glenn, world champion. I trained with Golden Gloves champion Pat Lynch from Chicago. He's a good friend of mine. He's actually, I'm actually going to dinner with him tonight. He was actually training with me in Kempo. And when he got into boxing, I was training with him. I trained in judo at the uh, Kentucky Judo Club, which had world champion and four national champions in. That was a very good club called Toshi. A guy called uh, Ed Kieslick was my coach there. I got my brown belt in judo. Unofficially got my black belt in judo under another guy. Uh, but we never actually put the paperwork in. So I don't know if it's official or not. I can't, yeah. I can't, yeah. I can't claim that one. 
with uh, Murdad Aflaki, very good. He was a uh, black belt under what was, what was his uh, name, Junior sorry? Bell. Murdad Aflaki, he was a Persian uh, Iranian background, and he is black belt. He got his black belt on Jean LaBelle. Nice. Uh, so very good, very good black belt. I love judo, actually, great art. But I did judo and boxing mainly because I knew Ed Parker had trained him judo and boxing when he was developing Kempo. And I was very interested in kind of like figuring out why he had done what he had done rather than just what he was doing. Correct. Yeah. And so I kind of got into those arts to kind of like Figure go backwards through the yeah. system. Or, did you ever yeah. meet Ed Parker at all? I did. I did a number of times. I went to a few number of seminars with him, but he passed away when I was purple belt, I think. Okay. So I didn't really get like really in-depth stuff with him. You didn't have any personal interactions at all? I mean, I remember the first time I interacted with him. I was on the mat in the floor and seminar in, where was it? It was either Exeter or Jersey. I'm going to say Exeter. There was a lot of people there, actually. It was a big, big seminars that he did. And I was out on the floor. I think I was a yellow belt at the time. Yeah. And we did, what was that one? Shield and Hammer? Uh, the, Shield, the and hammer? Block, Shield. Shield and Hammer. No, the one where you what's block it, and you punch the kidney. Shield and Mace. Le, Le, Shield, Shield and Mace. Shield and Mace, yeah. That's the Kempo yeah. Bob and Wave, and, right? Uh, that's as close as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he, yeah. And he came up to me and said, he said something like, are you here, Martin? And you remember my name, actually, which I was surprised because there was a hundred or so people in the room. And he threw the punch at me and I was a bit of, you know, intimidated. So I really, I nailed him in the kidney with that punch and and i felt him that you know like kind of like dig a little bit and then he elbowed me in the temple and just dropped me you know he said that's where you open <laughs> that, that was my that, that was my first interaction first lesson to checking hands right yeah checking checking you know keep that checking hand up when you and he just dropped me with an outside elbow and in the temple so yeah um I think those lessons are Which invaluable, was, uh, though. Yeah. I mean, you'll probably walk around with a checking hand uh, all the time. I didn't forget it. I can tell you that. Yeah. My instructor used to tell me to keep my checking hand up all the time, and he just clapped me up the side of the head. I never dropped my hand after that, you know. Right. I right. remember that lesson, and when I had people that would not put their hand up, I, I utilized his lesson, and it works. It's not a great <laughs> way, but uh, some people need to learn by feel, right? You know, pain is a great teacher. Yeah. 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 We'd rather make the mistake in a um, dojo than the street, right? You know, that's kind of the, you know, kind of the idea, isn't it? To, yeah, to make correct. all the mistakes in here. So you make, make less in the, in reality. I, he was just very, you know, really impressive martial artist. Rare to have that kind of mix of ability and sort of charisma in a person. You know, he, he really drew people to him. He was quite a, quite an individual and, you know, very powerful and impressive the, the way he moved. I got to say though, you know, the way he did things and the way everybody was, whatever he was doing and what he was necessarily teaching, I think he'd gone gone beyond what he was teaching and he was doing something else. And I, I think he felt, I always felt that he kind of was almost, you know, dragging a system behind him. Yeah. You yeah. know, he's obviously but, far in advance but, uh, of it. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I think he just kind of let go of it and was doing something else. You know, what, what he was teaching wasn't was quite the same. I mean, personal opinion. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could just look at Kempo and, you know, everything in it and say, imagine if you studied this back in the 60s, you'd look like an alien come out of space, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, it was revolutionary at the time. I mean, I think Kempo's 
advantages was that it was it was really you know a great mechanical breakdown of a of the martial arts as a whole pretty well yeah i mean you know striking arts in a sense but i think what held it back you know it's basically for what i could tell it's a, it's a boxing jiu-jitsu system like a locking jiu-jitsu not, not a ground fighting yeah, stand up. but the training fighting methods for with the old karate point fighting methodology and you know your mind simply doesn't work i mean the way you train in fighting is the way you're going to fight and if your actual combat experience is like karate type fighting and then you're trying to apply this you know almost boxing method even though it's sort of fairly free form boxing method it just doesn't make the translation it's very yeah, difficult yeah. You know, you, you, i didn't see people sparring using the techniques that they were developing no. you know, no, I think people have a certain mindset and when they do struggle when you get into freestyle with it. And then they brought out the, you know, the freestyle uh, method where they would... Techniques, I think, yeah. Well, yeah, the 1As and the 1Bs and the 1TSKP, BK, and it, you're just programming someone to move a certain way, which is all choreographed. It's not really an expression yeah, of someone. So I think people found it difficult. I mean, I created a, an automated spreadsheet, so when you put in all the letters, it actually gave you the full breakdown of the you know, the sparring move. So you could say, you know, right forward bow, cancel hand, punch to the head, right round kick, left back fist. Because when you read the letters, I'm like, okay, this is like FBI code or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's how you look at it. So. I, 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 also, also, you know, Parker was a engineer and not yep. everyone has an engineer's mind. You know, some people have artist minds. And, Correct. You know, more, yep. more, I tend to be more of a sort of intuitive type fighter my structure I, I don't have quite the same structure as that i'm more of a creative type fighter and so it didn't quite fit with me the same way yeah. but i did like the creativity in Kemper when you when you kind of let it go but i just think if the training method had been more like a boxing sparring i think it would have been more just basically step into the pocket with somebody and throw a combination of punches is, is not really a natural thing to do i mean your natural inclination is to throw a punch get out throw a punch get out you know right. yeah. and it takes a while for a boxer to really sit in the pocket and throw combinations and move their feet at the same time and you know look for angles within the flow of the combinations and you have to train your mind to to do that once i was doing that i found it much easier to apply kempo in the street because you know, because my mind was much more tuned to sort of sitting in the pocket and looking as to how I would throw a combination. And you just change the combination to the type of targets that something like Kempo would open up. But I think it's pretty hard to learn the system without having a free form boxing, sparring, sparring. I mean, yeah. yeah. I think the problem is you've got to go a long way to black before you realize that now you've got the information, now you've got to figure out something with it. Because... Um, you know, the way it's taught yep. and everything, it's pretty traditional, you know, and you're running it by the numbers. And so a lot of people put themselves in the box and you need to be out of the box on the street. You can't be in a box. Otherwise you get boxed around the yep. ears, right? Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I, I mean, I, I don't think he, I'd say I don't think he really made a mistake. He just used the training methods he probably had been brought up with. Yeah. You know, you know, the, the, the karate type, training but uh i just felt that as time went on that i thought someone might make that change but i never really saw it so then after you got your third in campo where'd, where'd your journey take you from there uh well i was also doing philippine knife and stick fighting 
during that period of two. Yeah, who were you doing? Which that I really with? liked. I had a couple of influences. Uh, mainly Huck was a great influence on me. Yeah, uh, he's a su- superb uh, Philippine stick and knife guy. A guy called Al McClucky, very very good. Okay. Everybody else, anybody, you know, anytime I went somewhere, I'd go and find a club and something and go fight with the guys. So oh. I was getting a lot of influences from a lot of places, really. So how did you get to Sistema then? So I was heavily into Kempo, really. I mean, most of my life, really, in martial arts was directed towards Kempo. I mean, even though I did boxing and grappling and stick fighting and knife fighting and all that stuff, I knew that my focus was sort of, I guess you'd call it urban combat now, you know, like street fighting or being in non-traditional environments or traditional environments if you're a street fighter i guess but but i I guess from all the door work and stuff i was just really cued into well how do you survive altercations with multiple attackers sometimes they're armed often you're by yourself you know at least for maybe even short or long periods of time how do you control your mindsets in those states how do you control the environment how do you control yourself you know like you know, I really started to question the types of martial arts that I've been learning as to whether they really had applicability in, in street, you know, these so-called street fighting arts, were they really applicable or was yeah. it, or was I making a mistake on how I was learning them? Yeah. Probably an average day for me at the time before I started doing Sistema was, you know, I'd box for probably five, six rounds a day. I'd grapple for probably an hour plus training plus teaching Kempo. I was teaching Kempo at the time, you know, traveling around, teaching seminars and stuff when I got to America, plus, you know, stick and knife fighting and then working as a doorman at the same time as well. So again, plenty of sort of practical application. I went to a seminar in Florida with Lee Wedlake, I think had organized. Um, my systema teacher, or who became my systema teacher, Vladimir Vasiliev, was at that seminar. He'd been invited as an instructor by Lee through Al McClucky, I believe. And I saw it for the first time, and I was just like really blown away by what this guy's capabilities were. I mean, everything I kind of dreamed was possible, this guy was doing. Okay. You know, effortlessly. Effortlessly. I mean, he was tying me up in. You know, I mean, on a, on an average day, I was fighting professionals in, you know, a decent amount of martial arts. This is pre, or just at the beginning of MMA, really, before there was like just pure MMA fighters. You know, and I was on a good day, I win. On a bad day, I lose. But I mean, it wasn't like I was like a bad fighter by any stretch of the imagination. This guy was like just laughing, talking to somebody else, tying me up in knots and. I couldn't, I couldn't understand it at all. I couldn't understand how he was doing that. Almost uh, by misdirection, right? Yeah. I mean, definitely misdirection. It, I, I'm reluctant to say yes, just because that's such a sort of one point answer that if people Agreed. say, well, yeah, yeah, well, okay, he's, so he's mis- misdirecting them and that's what he's doing. There's so much more involved with it than that at first. I mean, yeah, it would seem that way, but. I, I mean, in terms of the fight though, misdirecting and, you know, from an outsider, not that I know anything about system at all, from an outsider's point of view, it's through not engaging your fight, staying in his fight and just, yeah, totally misdirecting what you're doing 
and staying with what he's doing, you know, and then it just seems to leave you helpless, right? Yeah, it's a fair representation, but I would say, I mean, obviously I've been doing it for 25 years now, so my, my, my concept yeah. of it changes over, yeah. over time. I've got, um, no, I've got no experience. Let's just qualify that, right? So that was just my, obse uh, oh, my yeah, observation. No, That's about it. <laughs> no, no, it's a good observation. It's, uh, I would say Sistema is uh, such a hard one to explain. Um, I get asked this question all the time, and you know, the, the best answer I come up with is it, it, it's Tai Chi on crack, basically. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's okay. a way of... Nice. Um, it's a way of imagine taking away a martial art from the outside, right? So, so like with Kempo, for example, which I know your audience is probably going to be very familiar with generally, you know, so you first day and first year and first couple of years, you're just learning these techniques and ways of doing things from a fairly mechanical point of view, you know, you know, obviously there's fluidity and all sorts of things in it, but, but the actual techniques themselves, you're kind of like, you're like, take take this technique and then you're going to add this technique and then you're going to add this technique. And if this situation happens, you're going to use this. And if this situation happens, you're going to use this, right? And eventually over time, and judo's taught the same way, boxing's often taught the same way, even though it's a little more free form. But you're generally sort of like learning the martial art from the outside. And then eventually as it comes more fluent in your mind then the expression of it becomes more fluid internally right and systema you exactly the opposite uh, you basically learn no techniques at all ever um even though you might use techniques every now and again to kind of like demonstrate a concept but it's purely conceptually based uh you're learning how to breathe how to relax how to move and how to structure yourself. And those are your four pillars instead of like learning belts or techniques or something like that. And once you start to recognize from, and then you basically just got to get people to start to attack you. And you start to recognize what your intuitive reaction is to being attacked. And, you know, like say, say for example, I took a knife and I pushed it into your belly, right? I mean, if it, if everything's got past all your techniques and the knife goes in your belly, then you don't probably have much defense left, right? Whereas Sistema, that's where you start your defense by observing what your body does once the knife touches you and looks how you intuitively start to get yourself out the way without tensing. Obviously, it's quite hard not to tense in a fight, and that's part of the training is to really learn how to be very, very calm all the time. And um, But the reaction your body would take is how you start to learn your defense. And then if you took that back another pace or another pace, as the knife is coming towards you, you might start moving two feet away or three feet away. But you move in a way that doesn't disturb the opponent because they're get in the reaction they expect, which is for you to be stabbed, right? And then you start to develop your defense out of that by recognizing how the person's tension is, is acting and you start to attack their tension. So it's a very, I know it's, that's hard to maybe digest, but it's a very, very different method methodology 
Yeah, it makes of, makes a bit of, of makes quite a bit of sense from what I've seen. You know. Yeah. 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 I sort I mean, of, so, I sort of know, equate got... it to um, trying to teach students a block and a parry. You know, the parry's a redirection. It's not stopping them. It's not. You know, we say what the army does: cut communication, isolate the enemy, cut communications. Right. So when they you know, mm-hmm. similar to Sistema, when you're doing a parry, you're letting them do what they want to do. You're cutting communications. Mm-hmm. You're not telling them, not giving them any feedback so they don't change right. what they're doing. And, um, yeah, you'll formulate your plan, right? Yep, 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 yeah. And, uh, yeah, it can be quite surprising. And also the striking and everything, it's, 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 it's very different to everything else I've learned. I mean, you would think that, Punching somebody, there's only so many ways you can do it, but apparently there's another way. <laughs> so I was quite surprised. Do you want to move to another? Uh, yeah, just thinking back on the Kemper, you know, when I was bouncing, I mean, Kemper was my sort of go-to art. That's what I was doing the most. So, yeah, it saved my ass many times, you know. So it definitely works. you just got to make it work. With Sistema, yeah, you're kind of redirecting but there's another stage of it, really. It's, it's kind of like when you're boxing, you know, when you, like if you slip a punch or something like that, the other guy might get lost for a, a, a millisecond and then, you know, maybe you hit them or rechamber in some way that they understand where you are. I think what system is really good at is moving them or keeping them in that sort of like waiting state to so they can't really understand so easily what's happening i mean the way i describe it maybe makes sense to an audience is a finish or fail state when you're doing something like it could be anything from reaching from your coffee cup to punching somebody in the face right once you set your mind up and you kind of release your body into action most of what it's doing then is waiting for feedback especially at high speed because you're just kind of moving faster than cognition can really catch up to and so you're moving into these very sort of more intuitive and instinctual states. So your mind basically is sort of sitting between three dominances of, of, of capabilities. You know, it's, it's either cognition, which is a very sort of constrained analytical state, but it's slow, right? It's 0.1 second is your cognitive speed typically for people. So that's the speed right. you've got to move faster than 0.1 second. Yeah, which is not hard, right? When you're throwing a punch, I mean, you think how fast you throw a punch or something like that, and by the time it lands, it's kind of like tossing a, throwing a ball at somebody really hard. I mean, once you throw the ball, it's almost impossible to stop yourself throwing the ball, right? You already you already put yourself through that. All you can do then is just watch the trajectory and wait to see what happens, right? And even with a ball, that's a little bit more useful because it's further away than your hand. I mean, if you were to just throw the ball in your hand and it's got to be, and you've got to judge where it's going to be at full speed by the time it reaches the end of your fingertips, that's what throwing a punch is like. And so if you can, if they throw the punch and it lands, right, then that's a finished state. You're getting the feedback from your hand and the, you're going to throw the other hand or you're going to do so, you're going to throw the kick, you got the feedback that it landed. If your opponent ducks out the way and you miss, it may take you a millisecond more to reconfigure where you are, but you know that you missed. You didn't get the feedback you want, but you also didn't get the feedback to tell you that you've landed. So you know you've missed. 
Yeah. Right. So either one of those states you're going to be prepared for to come out of, and your mind is only in that waiting state until it gets to the landing or the miss. But if I throw a block at somebody, right, even if they miss, they still get the feedback from my block that it's Correct. finished. Correct. So unless, they get the finish or fail, unless they right? have a greater feedback, which is pain, right? Yeah, well, pain is also a great that feedback, takes up but it's still telling thinking, them. Right? Yeah. But that's true, but it still tells them something's up. And if Correct. I'm in pain, Correct. I just start yeah. throwing at the last place that I, you know, that, yeah. you know, you can train yourself with pain to react, right? But if you connect with them in a way that they can't tell like, very softly, if you've connected with them and you start, you can basically, as long as you don't move them outside of the pattern that they're in, they're going to stay there until you, until something happens. If you can kind of keep somebody in that state, then they're very vulnerable because then you're kind of guiding them. They're sort know? of lost, aren't they? They've lost control, so that's a bit. That's when they've, yeah, well, they, yeah, they've, they, they, well, they, they don't, haven't even lost control. They're just, they're waiting for control. Yeah, they're just the brain is just waiting for a certain set of feedback, and if that feedback never occurs, they're just going to keep you're just keeping their brain in that waiting state, and then they're super vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, they're waiting for control. And it's a mental game. You've won the mental game. Once once you keep them in that state for a while, you find that they soon figure out their way out of their league, which is, you know, a life-changing moment yep. for a lot of people, you know. Well, so if, you, if you fight enough people, you feel you feel the moment when their spirit breaks. You know, you, you really, you, if you box, you'll feel it in a fighter. You know, they, they can be tough as nails and you just, you just hit that point and you just feel them crumble inside somehow. In a fight, it's a, very useful thing to recognize obviously but it you know it's quite a it's, it's a it's a triumphant thing for you but it's a kind of a sad thing to feel in somebody else as well i mean you know but, but it's never a great um, moment you know, when one, you see someone crumble you know when you see the soul uh, well if they're if they're trying to kill you, it's kind of a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, correct. <laughs> but, but I mean, in a, in, in, in a just a basic street fighting sense, it's different, right? They're not trying to kill you. They're just yeah, they're yeah. taking. They've had a bad day. They're taking out frustrations. They've, they've had a crap yeah. week. You know, they're looking to release some of that frustration. Yeah, nobody nobody really wins in a street fight. I gotta say. No, normally we'd sort of beat them up a bit and then flick them a business card and tell them classes on Monday and Wednesday nights. Right? See you there. <laughs> That's how it yeah, works, right? Used to be, used to be that way. Now they, they now they take that business card and try and sue you. Yeah, things have changed actually. I mean, the the whole, I mean, even the, the type of violence that's used nowadays. I mean, the, what would be called a social contract has pretty well disappeared now. I mean, you know, people just they don't they don't fight to to fight anymore. They fight to destroy the person. It's a very different. Yeah, it's a different world. I think there's a lot of hatred. Different world. Yeah. yeah, not a, not a lot of love floating like, around. I think it's just that people are afraid a little more because obviously, you know, you have a lot of visuals nowadays, you know, you see things, you know, I see fights on YouTube or whatever, you know, unless you were in the world that I was in or you were in, you know, when, when you're working those clubs in that time, you don't really see violence like that very often. And now you right. see it all the time. And yeah. so there's no like barrier as to what the violence should be. You know, no. it's always like, well, I've got to act this way if I'm going to survive this now. I've got to act yeah. this way because they don't know that there's just normal violence sometimes that yeah, doesn't have right. to go yeah. all the way <laughs> to, yeah. to the top, you know? 
Yeah, I think if, so you, if you pull up your craziest shorter. moment that you've had while you're bouncing, you know, you're desensitized, I think, to just normal stuff. Right. And now every, everybody's kind of like aware of that, you know, because they see it so often. It, it definitely changes how you're working. There's a lot of people with cameras these days. They won't step in to help, but they'll quickly video. And they might walk up at the, at the wrong time where the other person's been trying to stab you or punch you and clip them back to slow them down. What they get is the clipping back. Yeah. It's the whole third person. Well, I think that was one of the sort of impetuses behind developing Sistema, I think. I mean, Sistema is a later term for whatever the martial art was. I mean, it just, it just means the system is, I think, it was a name either adopted by Vladimir or somebody else, you know, just a description of what they were doing. When Vladimir was learning these, this art initially, it didn't have a name, you know, he was in the Soviet war machine, basically, and it's just being selected from one day to the next to go to different schools, and they would just see how he did, you know, in various environments uh, until he was actually put into his unit. But the idea really was that if you're, and that's why Sistema looks so unusual as well, or really not like fighting, is because it's meant to not look like fighting. It's meant to look like, like say you're behind enemy lines and you're by yourself and you're recognized by somebody, for example, or you know, and they try and kill you or hurt you or take you out. You know, if you're if you jump into your kempo stance or your boxing stance or your jujitsu routine or whatever and you start fighting with a guy in the middle of the street well that attracts a lot of attention from police and military or wherever you are but if you can work in a way that nobody can understand what you're doing including the person that's fighting you then that doesn't attract attention in the same way and so that was one of the ideas behind Sistema being so natural looking is that it's very confusing you know, and the more confusing you are in a fight, the harder for anyone to understand what's going on. Yeah, nice. Okay. Well, it's on my bucket list, so... Well, uh, <laughs> you got a long bucket list. <laughs> I have. Don't you worry about that. I, I noticed um, Vladimir teaching in Toronto, I think. It was no... Um, yes. Was, yeah. Yeah, so. he has a school in Toronto. He's still teaching, yeah? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. He has a very active teaching schedule, and he travels, you know, travels a lot to around the world teaching. He's built up a credible art and his teacher as well, you know, Michael Ryabka. They've they've developed a very broad set of students around the world. Impressive. And that concludes the first part of our enthralling conversation with remarkable master Martin Wheeler on the Mind Sensei podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this deep dive into the world of Sistema and profound inspiration in Martin's insights and wisdom. In this episode, we explored the rich history and philosophy behind Sistema, discovering how it intertwines with the mind, body and spirit in a profound and holistic way. Martin's extensive knowledge and experience brought to the light transformative power of this martial art, extending beyond the physical techniques to encompass personal growth, resilience and self-awareness. But fret not, dear listeners, for our journey with Martin Wheeler is not over yet. Make sure to stay tuned for the second part of this captivating conversation in episode 11b. In the next episode, we'll delve deeper into the practical applications of Sistema, unveiling its valuable insights and practical tips for self-defense and personal development. 
We would like to extend our deepest gratitude to Master Martin Wheeler for gracing us with his presence and sharing his invaluable wisdom. We are truly privileged to have him as our esteemed guest. Remember, dear listeners, that the mind and body are interconnected and unlocking their full potential is within your reach. Join us in the next episode as we continue our exploration of Sistema and the extraordinary Master Martin Wheeler. Thank you for tuning in to the Mind Sensei podcast. Until next time, stay curious, stay inspired, and keep cultivating the art of self-discovery. And for all our listeners that would like to reach out to Master Martin Wheeler, he can be reached on email at wheelersystema at gmail.com. He can also be reached at his website at www.theacademybeverlyhills.com Also on his personal website at wheelersystema.com Also reachable on Instagram at wheelersystema and at sistema underscore seminars. Or you can find the links available in our show notes. Thank you again for listening to the Mind Sensei podcast. I'm your host, Peter Taz, and you've tuned in to the Mind Sensei podcast from Down Under. We want to take a moment to thank all our listeners for tuning in to the Mind Sensei podcast. We appreciate your support and hope our show has been both informative and entertaining for you. If you haven't already done so, we would like to invite you to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. By subscribing, you'll be the first to know when we release new content and you'll have access to all of our past episodes. We also encourage you to visit our website at mindsensei.au where you can find additional resources related to martial arts. On our site, you can read blog posts, videos and learn more about the guests we feature on our show. Finally, we'd like to thank our guests for sharing their knowledge and experience with us. Without their generosity, this podcast would not be possible. Thank you again for listening to the Mind Sensei podcast down under. We hope that you continue to join us on this journey through the world of martial arts.